you. Would the rest of you open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians, and we're still in chapter 5. This is your first Sunday with us. We are in a uh, sermon series in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. If you're unfamiliar with the location of Ephesians, you can take one of those pew Bibles and find it on page 1159. 1159. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. Just to put this text in context, we'll start reading at verse 15. Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, as we come into your presence this morning, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Not only that you speak, Lord, but that you speak to our deepest needs. That when we open up your word, we find your loving uh, presence to commune with us and to strengthen us. And so, God, as we open up the, the Bible this morning, we don't come here just to hear a sermon. I don't come here just to preach a sermon. We don't even come, Lord, to get some principles for living. Lord, we come desiring to hear the voice of the God who made us, speaking through his word. And so, Lord, we pray, meet with us here this morning, speak to us. God, I know that people have come in here this morning with different needs, different concerns, questions, um, crises. Lord, I'm not even aware of them. And uh, perhaps they've come in here with secret burdens that only they know they carry in their hearts. But God, I praise you that you know each and every heart, you know each and every life, you know each and every person here. I pray, Lord, that this morning, through your spirit and through your word, you would speak to the inmost needs of each person so that we might know that you have touched us and ministered to us. God, we pray for our nation at this time, especially this week as we remember the, the trials of 9-11. Lord, we pray, bless our nation, bless our leaders. God, I pray, bring our nation back to Christ. Help it to see its need of Christ. And Lord, I pray for this church, that you might give us unity as a church, that you might give us a focus on the preaching of the gospel. Lord, help us to love the word, help us to love Christ, and to love one another. And God, we pray now that you'd be with us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I don't want to be uh, rude, but uh, I appreciate you inviting me to church with you, but I really don't want to go. And you got to understand, I grew up going to church, okay? It, it's not that I have no experience with church. I, I grew up going to church. My parents used to take us when we were kids, and, you know, we'd sit in the pew, we'd sing the songs, we'd read the, the, the thing in the little book there, and, and after a while, I knew the whole thing by heart. I knew what all the rituals were, I knew what all the rules were. But you see, as I got a little bit older, I began to think for myself, and I started looking at what we were doing in church, and it just seemed so detached from real life. It's like, here was real life that I did all week. 
I went to school. I uh, hung out with my friends. I watched TV, you know, had fun with the family. And then once a week, we'd go to this church, and we'd dress up, and we would um, do all these strange rituals and say all these strange things, and then we'd go back to real life. You know, I, I know you're a religious person, so I don't want to sound sacrilegious here, but I mean, for me, church was kind of like Halloween once a week. You know how on Halloween you dress up in a funny costume and you sort of play a role for one night? That's like how it was for me every week in church. We'd sort of pretend, except the thing is I didn't get any candy. You know, it was just, it was just going through this ritual. So when I got old enough, my, my uh, parents gave me the choice of whether or not I wanted to keep going to church, and I just said, no thanks, and I haven't been back since. So uh, I appreciate you offering to take me to church with you, but I really am not interested. So what do we say to our imaginary friend here? Maybe this isn't so imaginary. Maybe you're like, yeah, that's my friend. Maybe you're thinking, that's me. <laughs> that, that's, that is how I, I think a lot of people feel today about church. Uh, as I created this kind of monologue when I was writing this sermon, I wasn't quoting any particular person, but I was kind of putting together different comments and conversations. I've heard from lots of different people. I think there are many people who have some kind of in our culture, who have some kind of vague belief in God, but that's about it. In terms of Christianity and the church, it just seems dry and irrelevant and, and out of touch with life as we know it. Let's be very clear about this. Christianity is, in fact, dry, boring, and dead. Christianity is irrelevant and detached and meaningless without the Holy Spirit. Take the Holy Spirit out of Christianity and all you have is a dry shell of ritualism, traditions, and legalism. But with the Holy Spirit, Christianity becomes something entirely different. It becomes a living relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, it's just a crusty old artifact from another era. But with the Holy Spirit, Christianity becomes a, a living thing within us that instead of adhering to some external rituals, Christianity becomes something that flows from the inside out. If you look at our text today, I think that's what Paul is talking about. Look at chapter 5, verse 18. This is actually last week's text. Remember, we studied this last week. Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And we saw that phrase, be filled with the Spirit, is talking about a life under the control of the Holy Spirit. We, we talked about Paul uh, wanting us to be L-U-I, living under the influence, having the Holy Spirit control us and guide us and lead us so, so that there's a, a, the life of God, the life of Christ flowing through me from the inside out, if that makes sense. Well, then this Sunday... Uh, I want to look at verses 19 to 21. These are the results of being filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 19. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, I have to take issue once again with this translation of the Bible. I'm not totally happy with how it rendered these verses because in Greek... You see those verbs in verses 19 through 21, all those commands, speak to one another, sing, submit. 
in, in English here, it looks like they're commands, but in Greek, they're actually what, what we call participles. So in other words, this is a very literal way of translating it. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord, always giving thanks. They got that one right. And then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in other words, to put it another way, verses 18 to 21 is just one big old sentence in Greek. It's not a bunch of little commands. It's one big sentence. And you're saying, okay, so what? <laughs> Why are you taking me on this grammatical excursion? Well, I think the point is that verses 19 to 21 aren't so much commands as they are consequences of being filled with the Spirit. In other words, Paul is saying, if you really are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, this is the kind of stuff that's going to be flowing out of you. You're going to be singing and making music. You're going to be giving thanks. You're going to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I think the proof of that interpretation is found in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking, singing, giving thanks, submitting. So the analogy goes like this. Just like when I'm drunk, alcohol controls and influences me so that the result is debauchery, so when I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit, the consequence, the result, is that I begin to sing and all these different consequences. So the point is that life in Christ, the Christian life, was never meant to be just a dry, external kind of meaningless thing. But real Christianity comes from the inside out. It's the Holy Spirit bringing forth all of these things in our lives. Christianity without the Holy Spirit is kind of like a snake's skin. I don't know if you've ever been out in the woods walking around and you find a, the skin of a snake, shed its skin, you find it and you're like, oh kids, look at this. It's some dried up old snake skin. Without the Holy Spirit, that's all Christianity is. But with the Holy Spirit, Christianity wriggles and squirms with life. Without the Holy Spirit, Christianity is just a bunch of works. Do this, don't do that, observe this holy day, do this ritual. But with the Holy Spirit, instead of works, it becomes faith. God, I trust you. I put my faith in you to make me a new person through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see the difference? Without the Holy Spirit, Christianity is just a punch list. Do this, do that. But with the Holy Spirit, Christianity is more like a roller coaster ride. And God buckles you in. He says, hold on, we're going. And then he takes you for the ride of your life as the Holy Spirit does things in your life that you can't believe. That's the, the difference. And so what I want to do this morning is just look at some of those consequences or effects of the Holy Spirit, which we find in verses 19 to 21. If we are filled with the Spirit, what does that look like? How does that affect us? What kinds of things give evidence of the Spirit controlling our lives? Well, the first thing is we sing. Verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Music, of course, is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. All people across all cultures and all times love music. You find music if you go to Brazil, you find music in America, you find music all over the world. We, we respond to music. Even little babies love music. It's been funny to watch my kids. I have three kids, and, and all of them have responded to music. My one-year-old, as soon as she could walk, started dancing. 
You'll see, you play, you play music for a one-year-old, they start dancing. You know, where do they learn that? You don't teach them to dance, but they just know. They know what music is. And in fact, they, all my kids do this little dance. It's really weird. When they're all one, you turn on the music, and they kind of go like this, because they're all wobbly. And then they do this. <laughs> they all do it. It's like the sumo dance or something. I don't know. They kind of <laughs> bounce up and down. Either that or their heads move. And my, my one-year-old kind of goes like this. It, it's amazing. I never taught them how to do that. You, but you turn the music on, and something like in their soul just, and they start dancing. Something about music that, that touches us at the most profound levels. Uh, we use music to express our deepest feelings and thoughts. Love, the meaning of life, patriotism. And so doesn't it make sense that if the Holy Spirit were to come into our lives and we were to enter into a living relationship with the living Christ, that we would sing? What greater inspiration is there than Christ and God. So, so of course we're going to sing. It says uh, in verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Again, this is what's going to flow naturally out of it. Do you remember uh, in the Old Testament, the story of Moses? He leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. And in chapter 14 of Exodus, God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites go through on dry ground. And then you remember what happens? Pharaoh and his army chases them. And once they get about halfway into the sea, God closes the sea on them. And the, the armies of Pharaoh are drowned. So in one fell swoop, God saves the Israelites and destroys their enemies. That's chapter 14 of Exodus. Do you know what chapter 15 of Exodus is? It's a big song. The whole thing is a song. I mean, they see it and they just... You know, Moses starts, he starts busting a rhyme. He starts rapping and singing. And then Miriam... She gets a tambourine, she gets a bunch of the girls, and she says, let's go, we're going to sing now. And they start singing and uh, dancing. And, you know, they're uh, singing and dancing around and, and hooping and hollering it up. It's just natural that when we see God and his greatness, when we see the acts of God, that it's going to erupt in song. It's normal for us to sing about the things that move us deeply. And so music, of course, is going to be an expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's kind of a funny phrase, isn't it? Speak to one another. Do you, does that kind of strike you as strange? It seems funny to me because I thought when I sing in church, I'm singing to God, not to you. I mean, isn't that what we're told? Those of you who are soloists, maybe you do special music, you know, you've been told, look, you're not singing to the audience, you're singing to God. You're leading in worship. So why would he say... Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I think, yeah, when we sing to the Lord, we are singing to the Lord. But I think we have to realize it has a horizontal effect. That when worship is truly vertical, when worship is truly done to the Lord, it's going to affect everybody around us. So when we're singing songs here Sunday morning, yeah, we're speaking to the Lord, but it's touching the lives of the people around us. I don't know how many Sundays, probably the majority of Sundays, I have come here to church. I get here on a Sunday morning about 7 o'clock, start you know, getting ready, run through what I'm going to say in my sermon, and then people start coming in, and I'm talking to people, I'm getting details you know, nailed down. I try to find maybe 10, 15 minutes to pray before the service, but you know, the service starts, and I'm just like, you know, my mind's all over the place. And the last thing I am is like focused on Christ. And then... The music starts. 
and all of you start singing, and, and I feel like in some ways you're all speaking to me. Like, I'm going to speak to you, but before I get up and speak to you, you all need to speak to me and remind me through your singing why we're here and who God is and who we worship. And so it's as you all sing, and, and I love sitting up here, those of you who are in the balcony or in the back, you're kind of missing out because the real sound effect is right here. When you're right here, you can hear the whole congregation sort of coming over. And, and I love being there, not just because I can get to the stage easily, but I hear you all speaking to me with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So by the time the singing is over, this is typically what happens. Man, I'm ready to preach because my heart is focused on the Lord again because we've spoken to one another. There's a great story in our church about another guy who spoke with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, you, you may know him, so I'm just going to give him an, an alias. I don't want to embarrass him because I don't do that, you know. Um, so we'll just call him Chung Lee Ling. And uh, Chung Lee... Uh, in 1986, Chung Lee was out of work. And he had one, it was about Christmas time, so he's out of work at Christmas. He's got three sons who are in college, so he's got some major financial obligations. He's out of work, he's been out of work since September. And Christmas is coming, he doesn't know what he's going to do. And he has this job offer from a job way out in Framingham. He's going, do I want to drive there? And he just thought, I don't want to drive there, this isn't right. And he had another possible job opportunity with Massport. He didn't know if he wanted to take it or not. It wasn't his firm. So he's like, what do I do? Do, do I go with this job out in Framingham, even though I know it's not the right one? But, or, or do I wait for this one that's kind of, you know, a little more nebulous? And finally, he and his wife decided, we're just going to trust the Lord. And, and he decided that he's going to say, God, you're going to be faithful. I'm going to trust you. And that's what he did. And so one evening, in a Sunday evening, during this period of trusting and faith, he came to church, and he asked the pastor in the evening service, do you mind if I say something to the congregation? Okay. And so he gets up, and he talks about his situation, how he's trusting the Lord. And as the story goes, I wasn't here. He then opened up his hymnal to Great is Thy Faithfulness, that old hymn, and he sang it a cappella, solo, to the congregation. And I tell you, people who are there still talk about that today. They still remember that. You know, that was like, what was it? Do the math, 17 years ago? But, but that one guy in the midst of his struggles proclaiming God's faithfulness spoke to the congregation. And people still look back on that as kind of a, a, a picture of what it means to trust God in the midst of uncertainty and economic hardship. We need to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then, of course, there is the vertical component. That's the next sentence there. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Making music with the heart. In other words, the point of that isn't so much that you do it silently, but it's more that you do it from, from within. It's not just saying the words, but it, like John was saying in the beginning, it has to come from your heart. It's got to be sincere. In other words, don't just sing the songs because you like singing. And don't just sing the songs because, boy, they bring back nostalgic memories. Sing the songs because you're singing from your heart to the Lord. And I think that little phrase gives us a wonderful definition of what makes music worshipful. How do you know if the music in church is truly worshipful? Some people say, well, well worshipful music is when you get the old great hymns of the faith and you blast the organ and you have some classical music and you really sing the old hymns of the faith with an organ with gusto. That's really worshipful music. 
Someone else says, oh, no, no, that's not worshipful. Worshipful music is when, is when you just have one guitar, no other instruments. It's a simple praise song, and people close their eyes and lift their hands and sway. That's when it's really worshipful. Another person says, oh, that's not worship. You guys don't know anything. You need to go to Europe to one of the great cathedrals and have the choir sing Gregorian chant with incense, you know, and, and, and candles. That's re- if you want to really worship the Lord, that's how you need to do it. But the picture we have here in Ephesians is not focused on the external forms at all. Sing and make music from, you could translate that, from the heart to the Lord. Let it be to God from your heart. This is true spiritual worship. Not singing the words in some form or another that you prefer. It's not about style of worship. True worship is from the heart to the Lord. It's when my mind is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore my heart responds appropriately. That's why we can only truly worship God by the help of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we cannot offer true spiritual worship that is acceptable to Christ. It's all just empty forms. Without the Holy Spirit, I cannot truly worship God in a way that God will accept. I need the Holy Spirit. Because only the Holy Spirit can show me the greatness of Jesus. And only the Holy Spirit can give me the faith to see Christ. I need the Holy Spirit to truly worship the Lord. Christianity was never intended to be a dry, boring, stale, irrelevant, tedious traditionalism or legalism. That's not it at all. It was meant to be a living, vibrant relationship with Christ, controlled by the Holy Spirit, that results naturally from the inside out with the Christian life. One of those things being that we're going to sing. Another one is that we're going to give thanks. See verse 20? Always giving thanks. This is another result. We speak thanksgiving as well. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As people say, the attitude of gratitude should pervade the Christian life. But notice, it's not just any thanksgiving. Check this out. Verse 20. Always, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. So that little command, give thanks to God the Father, is bracketed by always for everything. Which is pretty steep. I mean, I understand giving thanks sometimes, but always for everything? This is tough for us, and let's be honest. It's tough for us because, frankly, we like to complain. I like to complain. I don't know if you do. Uh, And if you don't, I'll just complain about you being insincere. I mean, I, I really do like to complain. I love to gripe about things. I mean, we all love to play talk show radio host, sit around and quarterback everything and from our armchairs, talk about why this is wrong and how stupid that policy is and how could they do that. I mean, we love to gripe. We're New Englanders. It's our job. This is our our role in America. We are the gripers, okay? That's what we do. And so always give thanks for everything. I told you uh, several weeks ago about a time I, I took a summer mission trip to Taiwan with a group of people, and we did evangelism over there. It was an incredible experience when I was in high school. But one of the rules on the trip was no complaining. It was, it was a rule. You couldn't complain. If you complained, everyone jumped on you. It was really interesting trying not to complain. You realized how much you complain about things. There was another trip, uh, another group that took a mission trip around the United States. They were a singing group. 
and they went around in a van from state to state singing in different churches. And their rule was, if you were caught complaining, you had to cough up a quarter. And so they just had this cup that was full of quarters, and then whenever they'd stop at a rest stop and meet a homeless person or something, they'd give the quarters away. But, you know, people got poor really fast because we love to complain. So how is it that we're supposed to always give thanks to God the Father for everything? And it's not just that we like to complain. It's, it's also the fact that there are some situations in life that seem to defy thanksgiving. There are some situations in life where you look at it and you go, how can I give thanks in these circumstances? How do you always give thanks to God for everything when the doctor tells you that the tumor is in fact malignant? How do you always give thanks for everything when you get a pink slip? How do you always give thanks for everything when someone that you love very dearly dies or when your spouse walks out on you? I mean, how, how do you do that? How does that work? The answer, of course, is that it must come from the Holy Spirit. The kind of thanksgiving that Paul is talking about here is a supernaturally inspired thanksgiving. It's not something that I can work up on my own. God has to help me with it. How does thanksgiving work? Well, it's, it's all about perspective, isn't it? Isn't that how Thanksgiving happens? It's when I get perspective on life. When life is this close and all I can see is the problems and, and the struggles, it's tough to give thanks. But when I get perspective on life and I look at this difficult situation in the context of all the blessings I have, that's when Thanksgiving happens. Thanksgiving is a consequence of getting, excuse me, getting perspective on life. It's kind of like, I was trying to think of an analogy, it's kind of like when a person who's been raised in the comforts of the suburban United States, for some reason travels to a developing nation where there is extreme poverty. Some of you have done that. Some of you have been in the military. Uh, some of you for mission trips, maybe business, for whatever reason, you've gone to a developing nation where there is what I would say real poverty, crushing poverty. And we have poverty in the United States, but I mean not the kind that you can see in some nations like Haiti or Sierra Leone countries like that. You go to those places and, and it's, it'll rip your heart. The utter destitution of the people, to see them without food, without you know, clothes to, to change into, without even rudimentary medical care, without fresh water to drink. I mean, the basics, the things that we don't even take for granted because they're so, so taken for granted. We don't even think of these things. And you go to this other nation and you see the total poverty. And then you come back to the United States and you say, look at all that we have. And, and you not only feel thankful, you almost feel guilty. I can't believe we have all this here. This is wrong. And, and you get that perspective. And then once you've seen that, you know, it's kind of tough to let that pothole on Route 28 that they never fix bother you so much. Because you think, well, yeah, I got this pothole on Route 228. They haven't fixed it for six months. But for crying out loud, I've been to Haiti. For crying out loud, I've been to wherever, and I've seen what real poverty can look like. And look at the blessings we have here in this country. I remember there was a missionary who uh, I talked to once who went to West Africa and to, to a very impoverished nation in West Africa, was there ministering for some time. Then he came back to the United States, and he told the story about how when he came back to the United States, he was overwhelmed by all the things we had. He walked into a grocery store. And he was just overwhelmed by the amount of food. He said, I walked to the pet food aisle. <laughs> you know, as long as the aisle of this church 
with food stacked up, you know, as high as, as he could reach, you know, this deep on both sides, food just for animals, just sitting there in rows and rows and stacks and stacks. He said, I, I couldn't take it. I had to leave the grocery store. Because he was having that contrast in his mind. He was so overwhelmed by what he had that he had to leave. And, and so I think that's kind of a picture of how the Holy Spirit helps us to be thankful. The Holy Spirit gives us the same kind of perspective, except on a greater level. The Holy Spirit gives us the similar kind of perspective on what we have, except in a huge, huge way, even bigger than going to a developing nation. The Holy Spirit gives us a perspective on our spiritual condition, not just our physical condition. Because before the Holy Spirit works in my life, well, I think I'm okay. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all fine, we're all nice, we all live in suburbia, you know, we're all nice people. Hey, I haven't killed anybody, I'm not a murderer. I go to church from time to time, pay my taxes, I recycle. When I'm driving down Route 53 and it's busy, I let people go in front of me. You know, I'm nice. I'm nice. I'm not that bad. I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. And that's kind of my perspective on myself. But the Holy Spirit comes into my life and does his convicting work. And the Holy Spirit takes me to a place to show me my true spiritual poverty. The Holy Spirit peels back that tissue-thin veneer of suburbanized morality that I've constructed to make myself feel good. The Holy Spirit peels that back and shows me that I truly am what the Bible says is a sinful person. The Holy Spirit shows me my heart. He says, look at that. And I look in my heart and I see self-righteousness, judgmentalness, a desire to control and manipulate peoples and situations, a, a, an obsession with my own comfort, my own pleasures. I look in my heart and I see lust. I see adultery. I see hatred. I see malice. I see slanderous thoughts toward other people. I look into my heart and, and I see a selfish person. Granted, who's kind of candied over a little bit with, with decency. But, but it's selfish underneath. And then I realize that as I look at my heart, the Holy Spirit shows me God, and I see that God is holy, and I have not loved the Lord my God with all my heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. And I realize I'm not a good, nice person. I am a sinner. In fact, I'm a rebel. God has said, do it this way, and I've given God the stiff arm and said, no, I'm not going to live that way, God. And if I do participate in religion, it's going to be on my terms, my beliefs my spirituality. And, and the Holy Spirit shows me just how grotesque all this is. But it doesn't stop there. After showing me my own sinfulness, the Holy Spirit then shows me the consequences of my sin. He shows me the people I've hurt. The Holy Spirit shows me the opportunities I've wasted with my life. The Holy Spirit shows me the, the way I've made things worse and not better. And I realize I am a sinner. And I have hurt others. And then it doesn't even stop there. Finally, the Holy Spirit takes me to the very brink of eternity and shows me the great chasm of hell itself. And I stand there with my toes dangling over the lip of hell, and the Holy Spirit shows me that this is what I deserve, that I am a rebel against the holy God who loved me and made me. I've spurned that God, and I do deserve hell that I am a damned sinner. That's truly who I am. 
and I realize that I cannot save myself, that trying to be a little bit nicer or, or watching my calories or, or saying an Our Father or whatever, I can't get myself out of this predicament. And then once I realize who I truly am spiritually, that I am a sinner, that I do deserve condemnation, it's at that moment that the Holy Spirit then transports me from my spiritual poverty back to the blessings of salvation. And it's in that realization that I am a lost sinner that he finally shows me Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes to me with his arms outstretched and he says, believe in me and you shall be saved. And I go, whoa, whoa, I can't. Look at me, Christ. Look at my life. Look at the shameful things I've done. The shameful things I've thought. Things that nobody knows about. How can, you, how can you say you would love me? And Jesus says, yes, I know. But I died on the cross for all those things so that they could be forgiven. And I say, Lord Jesus, it can't be. I'm not worthy of this kind of love. And Jesus says, I know you're not worthy. It's grace. It's grace. I love you. We say, Jesus, I haven't done anything to deserve it. He says, I know. But believe in me and you will be saved. And I'm overwhelmed like that person in the supermarket at the mountains and mountains of grace and love that God has for a sinner like me. And it's at that moment that I come to Christ and I realize what he's done for me. So that anybody here who will trust in Christ will be saved. And it is as I realize who I truly am before God, a lost sinner, and what God has done to save me through giving his only son, Jesus Christ, when I get that perspective, how can I be anything but eternally grateful? And when the difficult situations of life come along, those painful situations that don't make sense, and I think, where is a loving God in this situation? All I have to do is look to the cross, and I remember there's the loving God who came and died for me. And even though I don't understand this pain in my life, I know that God loves me, and that's the proof. And I'm filled up with gratitude, even in the worst of situations. And only the Holy Spirit can give us that. I don't know what kind of church experience you had growing up. We could all compare stories. But I know this. The biblical Christianity is not a dry, irrelevant, meaningless thing. That biblical Christianity isn't even Christianity at all. It's a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for those of us who know Jesus, who are Christians, I would just encourage you, keep cultivating that living relationship with Christ. I understand. I live the same life you do. My life is way too busy. I don't have any time. There are way too many demands on my plate. And the thing that gets pushed out of my life week after week and day after day is Jesus Christ. But I just want to say, go back to Christ. Don't let your Christianity become a dry, formalized thing. There is a power in a life that God wants to live through you. Fight with all that you have to hold on to that, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to live a Christianity that truly is a living relationship with Jesus. And then I would say to those of you who've never truly known Christ as your Savior, regardless of what your background is and what things you've done in your life, I just want to say that the same Jesus who stretched his arms out on the cross 
stands with us this morning, stretching his arms out again to embrace anybody who will put their faith in him, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want the real thing. Lord, we want to truly know you. We want that Holy Spirit-inspired Christianity that flows from the inside out. We want to know your love for us, and we want to love you in return. God, we are tired of dry, formalized religion. We are tired of legalism that's made by men. And Lord, we know that only you can give us the true religion that the Bible talks about, which is a living relationship with Jesus. And so, God, I pray, work in our hearts. Give us that living thing. I pray, Lord, that when people come to worship with us, that when we go out from this building into the, the neighborhoods, people might see that we have something different. And it's not that we're something different, but that you are something different, Christ. And that our light might shine and that Christ might be known. We know, Lord, that this is what the South Shore needs more than anything else, even more than a, a widened Route 3, even more than better schools, Lord. The South Shore needs Christ. And so we pray, God, that you might give us Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.